Resurrection Sunday 2018. You know, the resurrection is our blessed hope. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through 26. If you would, stand for reading of God's Word. We honor God by standing when we read His Word. Now, if Christ is preached that He has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. But now Christ is risen from the dead, and he has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. This is the word of God. Please be seated. Now, as you know, we have already said, had our greeting that he is risen. He is risen indeed. But guess what? You get to do it again. So he is risen. He is risen. All right. You said that with fervor. Good job. Good job. Hey, it's this time we celebrate the greatest day in history, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It was a day like no other, no other. Now, what Jesus accomplished on the cross? What did Jesus accomplish on the cross? Well, I can tell you on the cross, Jesus died for each person, each human being that ever lived on this earth. Christ won the victory on the cross. Christ won the victory that we could never win for ourselves. We can never be good enough to ingratiate ourselves to God. We are sinners separated from God, and we are hopelessly lost without a Savior. He died on the cross for our sins. On the cross, Jesus disarmed the powers and authorities. This is the demonic realm that plagues all humanity. He made a public spectacle of them, had victory over them on the cross. <laughs> on the cross, God placed all our sins on Jesus. Now think about this. Every murder, every rape, every despicable thing that you can think of was placed on Jesus. All of our sins were placed on him. I mean, it's an amazing story of how Jesus took all of our sin debt. Isaiah says this, Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6, Surely he has borne our griefs. Talking of the Messiah. The Jewish people today don't know who this is speaking of. When they read this, they can't miss it, but they kind of ignore it, okay? Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, our pain. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes, his beatings, we are healed. And we all, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord laid on him, on our Lord and Savior Jesus, God laid on him the iniquity of us all, all of our sin was laid upon Jesus Christ. Now on the cross, Jesus' death destroyed the works of the devil, condemned Satan, and even crushed the head of the serpent. It says in Genesis 3.15, it was the first prophecy of a coming Messiah. Right in the beginning, right at Genesis, 
that the, that the serpent's head would be crushed. And on the cross, that happened with our, our Lord and Savior Jesus. Without the cross, we would still be in our sins. We would have no hope. No one would be saved. The cross is an essential part of our salvation. Without it, without Jesus paying the price for our sins, his death in our place, we would be hopeless. 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 Jesus did die on the cross. Listen, if there's no cross, there's no Savior. And if there's no Savior, there's no hope of forgiveness of our sins. We'd be separated from God forever. The cross, as brutal as it was, and it, we cannot, the Mel Gibson movie does not do it justice. Does not do it justice. It was brutal. It was brutal. God's plan for saving mankind, Jesus dying for us, was determined again in eternity past. This was something that's something that God decided to do at, the, at a split second when he saw a man sinning. No, no, God sees the beginning from the end, and this intervention into humanity was planned in eternity past in the Godhead, that he would die for the sins of the world. Jesus came to earth and became one of us. He lived a perfect life, died a sacrificial, brutal death, all for our sins. And listen, he came, he lived, he proved that he was the Messiah. Remember, he did all the miracles that only Messiah could do. He was indeed the Messiah of Israel, and he is the Savior of the world, yet Jesus was rejected. And how many times do people reject Jesus today, even though they have the witness of the Spirit saying, this is true, this is true, this is true. Jesus was beaten beyond recognition, and we have a picture of this. This is the Mel Gibson picture, and this, is a, this doesn't even do a close justice because it says in Isaiah 52 that his visage or his appearance was marred more than any man. And on the next scene, you're going to see that Jesus did this all for us. He carried the cross, he took the beating, and he did it for each one of us. Now that is amazing love. That, you might do that for your kids. You might do that for your wife. Are you going to do that for a murderer? You're going to do that for a rapist? You're going to do that for somebody who stole all of your money and left you in poverty? You're going to do that for someone who's taken everything? that you have? No, but Jesus took it all. He took it all on himself. Jesus was rejected. He hung on the cross. Now look at He hung on the cross naked. He was naked on the cross. He was spat upon. He was punched. A crown of thorns was placed in his head. Now when you say a crown of thorns, you think a little picker bush is put on it. Now when you go to Israel and you see the thorns, these are nails that are sticking out. And they were pushed into his skull. And they mocked him by saying, you want to be a king? I'll put this crown of thorns on you, the Romans. And they crushed it into his skull. He bore the crown of thorns for us. It was placed on his head. He was nailed with spikes to the cross, run through his side with a spear. Jesus, God in the flesh before the eyes of man, died a humiliating, brutal death. And he did it all for us. He did it all for us. While Jesus was dying, he expressed his, his, his heartfelt love for those who were killing him. And on the cross, he cried out these words. We have the picture coming out here. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. For those murdering him, at the very moment they're murdering him, Jesus cries out and he's thinking of them. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That just echoes through eternity, echoes through time, echoes through the epochs of time. Father, forgive them. He is our model, folks. He is our model of, of restoration and a heart of love. Jesus died for each one of us. He did it all for us, 
and for all of those who really could care less about him. You know that most of the world could care less about Jesus. They don't care that he came and died a brutal death in their place. You ask, how could these people have done such an awful, horrific act of killing an innocent Jesus? Had we been there in that crowd, you know what we would have been saying? Right with the people, crucify him. Crucify him. Why? Because he didn't meet their expectations at the time. Remember, they wanted to be freed from Rome. They wanted the Messiah to establish his kingdom right then. But remember, humanity needed a savior before they would get a king. And the king is coming, folks. It's just that at that time, we needed a savior. And we still need a savior today. The king is coming. Jesus did indeed die. He was taken down from the cross. He was placed in a rich man's tomb. By the way, that was very unusual. Because, you know, when you were taken down from a cross, a Roman cross, when you died, you were thrown in a common grave and animals would eat you up. But Jesus was taken down, put in a rich man's tomb, just like it was prophesied in Isaiah 53, 9, hundreds of years before. Joseph of Arimathea asked for the body of Jesus. Joseph was given the body of Jesus, and he was put in Joseph's tomb, a rich man's tomb. The disciples were despondent at the death of Jesus. They all ran. His mother and the women... The women, only the women were at, were at the cross, except John. John. The apostle John was there, but the rest of the disciples ran for their lives. They were despondent. Jesus was dead, and the movement that he started, they thought was dead, but it wasn't. You see, the story does not end with Jesus' death. Jesus was indeed buried, and miracle of miracles, the third day he rose again from the dead. He rose, and he is alive today. No world religion. Now hear this. No world religion. None. Zero has a risen Savior. Only Jesus rose from the dead. Only Jesus could be the Savior of mankind. Christianity is the one true religion because we have a risen Savior. We have a risen Savior. Theologian Gerald O'Connell puts it this way. In a profound sense, Christianity was without, without the resurrection is not simply Christianity without its final chapter. It is not Christianity at all. And Collins is correct. The resurrection is the proof of Jesus' triumph over sin and death. It's the foreshadowing of the resurrection of each one of us. Because if Jesus did not raise from the dead, we will not rise from the dead. It's our Christian hope. It's a miracle of all miracles. Now. Throughout the, 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 the years, through the decades, through the millennia time, there have been theories about Jesus' resurrection. Theories concerning his resurrection are legendary. Was Jesus really buried in the tomb? Now, in the past, I've done teachings on, on Easter Sunday regarding this. Was he buried in the tomb? Did they go to the wrong tomb? Were they, were they confused? Uh, was the tomb really secure? Were there really guards there? Now, Pontius Pilate set the guard, and if those guards weren't there, those guards would have been killed. There were guards at the tomb. Did And here, how about this one? A false Jesus died in the place of the real Jesus. Jesus' mother was, was confused. His disciples were confused because they all ran. John the apostle was confused. No, that, 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 Islam believes this. Islam believes that God would not sacrifice his son, so it was a false person that died on the cross. And then this one, the, the, the mystery of all mysteries, how anybody could believe this. Did the disciples steal the body of Jesus? Now look at the disciples were running for their lives, hiding. 
They were scared to death for themselves. They could not have stole the body of Jesus. Or was Jesus really thrown in a common grave? All of these theories that we've gone through in the past have been soundly refuted. They are almost laughable. Jesus did die. This is a historical fact. Jesus was placed in a rich man's tomb. And in fact, lo and behold, on Resurrection Sunday, the tomb was empty. This is a fact. But it even goes more than this. There are people today that even question the historicity of Jesus, that he even lived. Now, I, wanted to sh- I want to share something with you, because that has been so soundly defeated that if you ever hear this, remember these words, okay? Uh, first of all, there's more evidence for the existence of Jesus than any, any old, old writer, in any ancient writer, Plato, Aristotle, whoever it was, there's much more evidence for Jesus. But there's even greater than that. Historians, there was one called Tacitus, he's a Roman historian. He claimed that Jesus Christ was the founder of Christianity, had been executed in the reign of Tiberius by the procurator Pontius Pilate. Tacitus was not a believer. Tacitus was simply recording history, and he recorded it accurately. Josephus, a Jewish historian, records much the same thing. He was a non-believer, but he's just recording the facts. He says this, When Pilate, upon hearing him accused by men of the highest standing among us, had condemned him to be crucified, and who in the first place came to love him, did not give up their affection for him, for on the third day he appeared to them after he was raised from the dead. The prophets of God had prophesied this and countless other marvelous things about him, and the tribe of Christians, so-called after him, have still to this day not died out. That's us. To this day, we have not died out. Even though through the history of humanity, there's been a concentrated effort to eliminate Christians, and today, there are more Christian martyrs throughout the world than at any time in history. People are dying for their faith in Iran. If you're a Christian in North Korea, you will die for your faith. In the Islamic countries, you will risk your life. In communist countries, we're imprisoned for our faith. There are more martyrs today than any time in history. We just don't hear about it in here because we're insulated and protected. Josephus and Tacitus are both historians that agree that Jesus existed. And that is, his name was indeed Jesus, and he was also called the Christ or the Messiah of Israel. He had a brother named James. He won over both Jews and Greeks. Pilate rendered the decision that he should be executed. His execution was specifically by crucifixion. Jesus could not have died any other way because the Old Testament said he would die on a tree and he would be beaten and he would be pierced. These things all happened right on schedule. He was executed during Pontius Pilate's reign. It's not even just these two. There's a guy named Lucian who despised Christians for worshiping someone who was a criminal, but he wrote about Jesus. A guy named Celsus, a Platonist philosopher, said Jesus was a magician because he did so many signs and wonders and miracles. A guy named Pliny, a younger friend of Tacitus, wrote about Jesus Christ being worshipped. And a guy named Suronus, a Roman writer, wrote about Christus. So did Jesus Christ walk this earth? What do you think? Yes, he did. I mean, there's no question. Historically, Bart Ehrman. Bart Ehrman is an atheist. He was a Christian who renounced his Christianity, has written book after book, debate after debate, and even he admits to the historicity of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ lived and was crucified. 
Even he does. So this is a fact. This is truth. Now, why do we believe this? Well, there's the empty tomb. No one can explain the empty tomb. Listen to Matthew's account. And I want to put the picture up here about the stone being rolled away. And I want you to think about something. Jesus was not let out when the stone was rolled away. It was to help people to see that the tomb was actually empty. Hear Matthew's account on this. Matthew says this in Matthew chapter 28, verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, which is a Saturday, at the first day of the week, that would be Sunday, began to be dawn, Mary Magdalene and the, and the other Mary, this is the Mary of James the Lesser, one of the apostles, came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door, and he sat on it. His countenance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. And guards shook for fear because of him and became like dead men. You think you wouldn't be scared if that happened to you? Giant earthquake, stone being moved that no human could move. This was a giant stone, and it's downhill. It's not going to be some grave robbers rolling. That's why they made the tombs that way. They made them secure so they couldn't be easily robbed. The stone was rolled away. These guards, these Roman professional guards, are on their face in abject fear. But the angel answered and said to the women, Oh, to the people that believe, do not be afraid. That's what God always says to us. Do not fear, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay and go quickly and tell his disciples. That's our job, to go quickly and tell everyone that Jesus is alive. And he is the way, the truth, and the life. Tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And you know what they did? They went quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring the disciples the word. They did what we are supposed to do, run and tell people the word, that Jesus is alive. It's not simply that the tomb was empty, but there was eyewitness testimony that Jesus was seen alive and well, and the testimony is convincing. Hear the words of a man named Gary Herbanus. Gary Herbanus is an expert on the resurrection. He has written seven books on it. He says this, It is true that there are no eyewitnesses to the resurrection in that no one was sitting inside the tomb, saw the body start to vibrate, stand up, Take the linen wrappings off. By the way, there were 75 pounds of linen wrapping on the body of Jesus. Not so easy for somebody to get out of. Okay? Take their, and fold them up, roll them back, roll back the stone, and wow the guards and leave. No one saw this. No one saw this. Professor Herbanus continues with this. Here is how I look at the evidence for the resurrection. First, did Jesus die on the cross? And history says yes. Yes. And secondly, did he appear later to people? And if you can establish these two things, you have made your case. Now, I want you to think about this. Central to the Christian faith is the resurrection and the eyewitness testimony of those who say they saw Jesus. Now, think about this. The Romans despised Jesus. The Jewish people at the time were crying, crucify him. They didn't believe him. Now, these people that have gone to the tomb are taking this information to people that do not believe and actually could risk their lives if Rome was to find out about it. 
So they're spreading a story that was impossible, incredulous to those who did not believe in Jesus. And they would face extreme ridicule for doing this. So they have no incentive to make this up. None. Zero. The appearances happened in this order, just very quickly. Jesus appeared, as our text says, first to Mary Magdalene, then to the other women, then to Peter, then the ten disciples, and the next, next week to the eleven disciples. At his ascension, the, the disciples actually saw this and they recorded this, that Jesus ascended into heaven. Now again, I've said this before. The disciples had to be, their minds had to be blown because Jesus had never done this before. Here he goes, he's doing something different. There he goes up into heaven. He's caught up into the clouds. Now he's gone. And it says, this same Jesus will return in like manner. In like manner. To the disciples on the road to Emmaus in Galilee, to 500 people, to James and the apostles, and finally on the road to Damascus, he appeared to the apostle Paul, who was a killer of Christians and imprisoning Christians. And then God enters in his life and a great light shines and he falls on the ground and he becomes converted and becomes a passionate believer in Jesus Christ and wrote, writes most of the epistles in the New Testament. They saw him, they knew he was real, they knew he was alive, and you know what? Not one person recanted. Even under threat of death and even with death, not one person recanted that they had seen Jesus. Now, the 500 who saw Jesus in 1 Corinthians 15, 6, after the resurrections, these are eyewitnesses. He was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. These are Paul's words. Some believe that it was a hallucination, and mass hallucinations do not occur. Gary Collins, a doctorate professor of psychology, he has over 20 years of experience. He's written over, over dozens of books on psychological issues. He's the president of a National Association of Psychologists, says this about hallucinations. Hallucinations are individual occurrences. By their very nature, only one person can see a given hallucination at a time. They certainly aren't something which can be seen by a group of people. Secondly, hear what Paul said. Remember, Paul encourages his reader, if you don't believe me that we saw Jesus, then go check it out with these other 500 people because most of them are still alive to this present day. Go check it out. They're eyewitnesses' testimony. And none, none came forward and refuted that they had seen Jesus. Now, 500 people saw Jesus. 500 people believed what they saw. This was not Jesus from a distance. You ever hear see people, just, just recently, a couple pilots saw a flying saucer. Another flying saucer. Do you know what they saw? A little speck on the horizon, a little dinky speck that kind of moved really quick. I want to see the guy, I want to see the windows. I want to see the thing big. I want to see the aliens walking across the windows. I mean, come on, give me the break. Every time we see a flying saucer, it's a dot. It's a little dot in the sky. Or how about Bigfoot? Big, a little blurry, looks like a guy's wearing a costume, Bigfoot. Or, or there's people that see Jesus in the television set, or Jesus in the clouds, or in the burrito, or in the pretzel. I saw Jesus, yes. Uh, this was Jesus up close and in person, and no one refuted it. This post-resurrection appearance of Christ is very convincing, but it wasn't just that. Jesus appeared to his disciples. In John chapter 20, verse 19 through 20, and 24 through 29, we see this recorded. 
They remember, they all ran. They are all ran. They're all they're all hiding. They were in fear for their lives, and they thought that the whole cause was lost. And they are hiding. We pick up the narrative in John chapter 20. Let me read this to you. And the same day, this is when Jesus was resurrected. This is Resurrection Sunday. This is the evening of. At the evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. They were in fear for their lives. Jesus came and he stood in the midst and he said to them, I mean, can you, can you just picture it? There's 10 here. Thomas is absent. So 10 disciples are in, in the room and Jesus comes right through the wall. Boom. And he stands right there. And the first words he has to say, so they don't all have a heart attack is, peace be to you. Peace be to you. Don't panic, guys. And when he said this, they showed, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. But Thomas was not there, and he doubted. He doubted his friends who said, I saw the Savior. And he said to them, now watch, I want to put a picture up here of doubting Thomas. Now you watch this. See the hands that are pierced? And watch Thomas's demeanor. I mean, he is, he is, he is now putting his hand in the side of Jesus, and he's going to put his hand in the, in the handprint of Jesus, nail print there, and he's going to be astounded that Jesus is alive. Listen to the narrative. So he said to the disciples that said, I saw him. Unless I see his hands, the print of his nails, and put my finger into the print of his nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Unless you give me empirical evidence, I will not believe this. You know what happens? Next week, 11 are in the room. And what does Jesus do? Poof, he stands there, and the first thing he says is, peace be to you, peace be to you. I know I did it last week. This is still going to stun you, okay? And he addresses Thomas, and he says to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands, and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but be believing. That's God's cry to all of us. Don't be unbelieving, but be believing. I have given you evidence. I have given you evidence that I am alive and well. And Thomas answered and said to Jesus, My Lord and my God, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. But oh, he says these great words that apply to all of us. Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. That is each one of us, each one of us. You know what John also goes on to say in John 20, 31? It's just interesting. He says this about Jesus that these are written, all of John's gospel was written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. You may have life in his name. And John 21, 25 says, also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were all written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could contain the books that would be written. The disciples saw the resurrected Jesus, and they believed. The eyewitness testimony of the resurrection is convincing. Now, how important is the resurrection to you? How does the resurrection affect your life? Are you convinced of the resurrection of our Lord? How does knowing this information make your life easier, or does it make it easier? Does it mean anything to you? Does it give you peace? Does it give you hope? I hope it does. Let's examine our text today, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 12 through 26, so let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. And Holy Spirit, take these words, put them into our hearts, and may we hear what you have to say to us today. 
May each heart be soft and pliable and each mind open to the truth of who you are. I ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, verse 12 through 19. The absolute necessity of the resurrection. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you, that's church in Corinth, say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Now, this happens all the time. There's people in the United States and all over Europe and all over the world that don't believe in the resurrection. And then he goes on to say, but if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. He'd be just like any other man, turning to dust in the grave. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, it is useless, and your faith is also empty. Why? Because we're believing in a, in a lie. Yes, we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ and we did not raise up. If, in fact, the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. The whole Christian religion is based upon the resurrection of Jesus. Not on the miracles, not on the signs and wonders, but a resurrected Savior that, that took, the, took our sin debt and conquered the grave. That's what it is based on. Then also, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished, have no hope. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable. We want to have hope in Christ, not just in this life, but in the next life, which is the real life. That's the real life, folks. This is all... Smoke and mirrors here. The real thing is coming. I want you to know that. I want you to know that because we, when we see him, we will see him like he is and we will be like him. Isn't that amazing? We get a new body. More on that in just a few seconds. Now, the main point of this, if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. If Jesus did not raise from the dead, he is not our Savior. He would indeed be the greatest false teacher of all time, deceiving billions of people. Verse 20 through 26, Jesus did raise from the dead, and he did conquer death. Watch what Paul says, but now Christ is risen. Statement of fact, statement of fact, from the dead, and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, first fruits is just the first of the harvest. And this picture here is that Jesus is the first of the harvest of many more who, are be, who will be resurrected. That's all of us who die will be resurrected if we are in Christ. Okay? For since by man, that would be Adam, came death. Remember, his sin was credited to every human being. We all have original sin. That sin has to be dealt with. If it isn't dealt with, we'll be separated from a holy God that cannot be in the presence of sin. God sent his son to deal with the sin problem that we have. So by man, Jesus also came the resurrection of the dead, gives us life. For as Adam all die, even in Christ all shall be made alive, but each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, and afterward those who are Christ, or those who belong to Christ, those who are saved, those who are born again. We use all these, all these words that say that we believed that Jesus died for us and we're in the family of God. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, and he puts an end to all rule and all authority and all power. There will be a time when Christ's kingdom will be established, the thousand-year millennial kingdom. That kingdom will come to an end. The kingdom will be given to the Father, and we will go into eternity. And I'll finish with a few words on that. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Now, all I can say is hip, hip, 
array. Death will be destroyed. That is a good thing. So, the last enemy to be destroyed is death, verse 26. Now, notice that death is described as an enemy, as an enemy, not a friend. See, many people want to be euthanized. Many people thinking that killing babies is okay. It's not a good thing. Death is a bad thing. It was a curse that came upon humanity because of sin. Mankind was created as an eternal being, and death came with sin. Remember, sin always, always, always brings death. It always brings death. So it's described as an enemy with a terminal lifespan. There will be a time when the death curse will finally and be completely dealt with. No more death. No more death. Hear what Paul has to say about our final victory in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50 through 55. He's going to give us a little peek at what the rapture will be. Now, what is the rapture? Well, the rapture is when Christ comes for his church, for believers, and takes them out of here. And the unbelievers will be left here to go through what's called the tribulation period, a time when the Antichrist will come and rule on this earth. But we, I believe, will be out of here for that. So, verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, so he's talking to believers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. This body, the way that it is, cannot go to heaven. It's corrupt. It can't make it in heaven. Nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery, something that was not known in the Old Testament, now known. We shall not all sleep, or we shall not all die. Sleep is a euphemism for death. In the Bible, but we shall all be changed. Now, watch this in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. Now, we've done this study before on how quick the twinkling of an eye is. It's one sixth billionth of a second. That fast, we will be out of here. It isn't one of these things. I hear the trumpet, oh, he's coming, he's coming. No, one sixth billionth of a second. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen. Our ears might hear something. Just the beginning note. But one, we'll be out of here. Out of here. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible. Oh, new bodies. And we shall be changed. For this corruptible, this way we are now, must put on incorruption. He's talking about our new bodies that we will get, our spiritual bodies. That'll be perfect, just like Jesus walking through walls. No restraints. And this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, or O grave, where is your victory? Why? Because death will be done away with. We will no longer be experienced a death curse. Last enemy to be destroyed, as said in verse 26, is death. Death. The resurrection is personal. The resurrection is personal. All of us have experienced the agony of death of a loved one who are no longer with us. We've experienced the pain of death. And often we ask this question when death enters into our sphere of life. We ask this, why now, God? Why in this way? Why did this happen? Why wasn't my loved one healed? Why didn't you touch them miraculously? And that enters into our life. And I want you to hear the words of Gary Herbanus expounding on his personal importance of the resurrection, that these words could speak for anyone in this room. And this is in the case for Christ on page 326 and 327, if you ever get there. And he talks about his 
his wife, Debbie. Debbie was dying of stomach cancer. And Debbie had spent months and months in their house until almost the end when she went into hospice. And he wondered over and over and over, God, why is Debbie in that state? Why is Debbie up in that room? When I have brought this before you, and our church has brought this before you, and we have prayed over and over and over for her healing. And, and Gary Herbanus said that he would hear the words of God speaking to him and say, Gary, did not my son rise from the dead? And Gary would repeat, and he's talking to, he's, he's talking to Lee Strobel, giving the narrative. He, Lee wrote the book, and he's talking to Lee Strobel, and he says, God spoke to me that he had risen from the dead, so Debbie would raise from the dead. And then Gary says, God, I've written seven books on the resurrection. Of course I believe that God has raised Jesus from the dead. And he would say this over and over and over, and finally Gary got the point that if God raised Jesus from the dead, that Debbie would be raised from the dead. And because Jesus lives, Debbie will live also. And he turns and he almost stares off into oblivion. And at that moment, Lee Strubel know, Strubel know that there was hope that Christians have that no one else has. Because Debbie lives, Gary says, I will see her again. I will see my Lord, and I will see Debbie again. And I'll tell you, that is the hope that we have. When death knocks on your door, and it comes as an unwelcomed intruder, and you're feeling the pain and the discomfort of it, because Jesus rose from the dead, you know that you know that you know that those who believe in him you will see them again in Father's house. And we will all be together one day. And what a day and reunion that will be. When my Jesus I shall see, when I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace, I will see Jesus. He is the centrality of heaven. But then I'll see my loved ones who have gone on before me. You'll be seeing your mom and your dad, your brothers and your sisters, if they are in Christ. If they are in Christ. Like Gary, one day we will see our loved ones. Like Gary, we know that if Jesus is raised, our loved ones will be raised. This is our hope. And we are not like those who have no hope. We will one day see Jesus in all of his glory and our loved ones who have gone on before us. And I want you to think about this. For those and only for those who believe that Jesus died for their sins, was buried and rose again the third day from the dead. Only those who believe and are saved will live with Jesus forever. Only those. The gospel message is for everyone. And the gospel message is come, believe, receive the gift of salvation. It is God's cry to humanity, God's love call to humanity. Come, receive, believe. Those who reject God's Son, those who say no thanks to Jesus, those who think that they're good enough, that God will let me in because I'm good. Listen, the scripture is very clear. All our righteousness is like filthy rags. There is none who does good, no, not one. There is none who seeks after God, not anybody. Those who reject Jesus dying in their place say, I do not care that you suffered and died for me. I will live my life the way that I want to. will live separated from God forever. What a tragedy. God's heart breaks for that. We, our hearts break for our loved ones who have made that choice 
to not live with Jesus forever. When I say separated from God forever, it is a place sequestered for those who say no to Christ. We call it traditionally hell. It really will be the lake of fire, will be the terminal destination for all who don't believe. That will be the saddest day in history for you. Something that need not be. God loves us. He implores us to come and believe and come and be part of his family. John 3.16, I've already said it once, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It is a message. It is a lifesaver to humanity that he throws us. For we who believe there is a day coming soon when life will really begin for us. There'll be no more struggles. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more disappointments. Now, won't that just be the most terrific time? No more sin, no more sadness, no more sorrow or tears. Hear the words of John, the apostle. This is talking about eternity. When, when we go into the eternal realm, when there will be a new heavens and a new earth, and everything will be made new. It is recorded in Revelation chapter 21, verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. All of those things were related to the old earth, the sin-laid earth. When all things become new and we are with our Lord, there will be none of those things that plagued us here. None of those things. There is a day coming. Folks, there's a new world coming. Our hope is in the resurrection of our Lord. Never forget Jesus' words of hope in John 14, 19. Because I live, you will live also. This is our blessed hope. Today we celebrate that Jesus is alive. And may I say it again, Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. He is alive. May we never forget that what our Savior has done for us. And like the saints of old, may we exclaim to everyone that he is risen. He is risen indeed. Resurrection Sunday is our blessed hope, folks is our blessed hope. If you would, bow your head. Let's pray. I want you to think about something. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, what a terrific day to come to know him. This could be the greatest day of your life when you are transferred from death into life, from a destiny of hell and separation from God to heaven, an an eternal bliss with God. If you do not know Jesus as your Savior, the It's very simple. You just believe and realize that you're a sinner, separated from God. And if you believe that he died for you, died in your place, took your sin debt, you too will be saved. So all you do is say within your being, Lord, I believe you died for me. I receive the gift of life that you have offered to me. And I repent of my sins and I turn to you, Lord Jesus. And I will live for you. I give my life to you. If you do that today, if you do that right now, you are born again in the family of God. If you said that in your heart, and you mean it with all of your heart, you are born again. And if you are born again, then you have the privilege of of 
taking the communion, participating in the communion service. Lord, right now I do pray for anybody here that does not know you as their Savior, that right now they would say yes to you. No more fighting, no more running, no more making excuses, but they say, yes, I am a sinner. I cannot deal with my sin. My sin I must place on you, Lord Jesus. You died in my place so that I might live. I do that, and I receive you as Savior. I thank you, Lord, that you are the life giver and desire that all men be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Your arms are wide open to humanity saying, come, receive, and believe. May that happen today for someone in this house. In Jesus' name, amen.